all of you that celebrate Valentine's Day. We appreciate you spending a sliver of it with us here tonight. I'm sure you will love our college basketball talk. You're going to love Jordan Gately. He's our special player guest tonight. He'll join us in the middle segments as well. If you have a question or comment, you can text it to us, 804-327-0888, or you can email behind the web at richmond.edu. So when you hit a game winner, you get to hear it not once but twice since we had both the radio and TV versions of it, and Jacob Gilliard's game winner a week ago tonight against George Mason. Spiders get the win there, start of a very busy week, go up to Fairfax, and the Patriots win by three on Wednesday. Spiders come back Saturday and knock off LaSalle, so it finishes up a two-in-one week. And now, Coach Billy, a little bit of a chance to breathe, and I know you and the guys are very thankful for that after that very, very busy stretch of basketball. Yeah, very busy. The, the games you mentioned and then the Friday game uh, hosting St. Bonaventure before that. So four games in eight days. And obviously that's uh, as crazy as a basketball schedule can be. That that is pretty still that, – that one's still unique. Uh, and, you know, a lot goes into each game. A lot of preparation by the coaches, a lot of uh, work by everybody uh, for the Robbins Center, security and um, everything. There's just a lot that goes into it for our guys, a lot of – studying and remembering and practice and walk through so to to be able to to unplug and not have to worry about that here for a couple of days is great after having to do it rapid fire here in the last in the last eight eight to ten days well let's take those three games of last week kind of chronologically let's start with the uh the one that you just heard the highlights i was a little more upbeat on that call than the cooper <laughs> cup touchdown call if a little you were bit. listening to the end of the yeah. sports huddle yeah a, a little bit a little bit on that one um how much preparation went into that chris to the point where you didn't have to take a timeout, and jacob and the four guys around him knew exactly what to do in that in that situation and and did it kind of play out the way you you, you would have practiced it yeah a little bit uh i think you know one one thing is that we, we try to talk very early on in the season about some of these special situations you know at the you know the end of the first half um you know the end of the game up three fouling two for one and and try to touch on those uh in the beginning you know really set and then as it goes on a little bit more randomly so that the guys have to jump into those situations and know the score and the time and things uh and for the for that that one where we're, we have some specific things that we want to have happen um, obviously, if Jacob has the ball, that, that's you know that's the most important, um, you know. But not we could still we could still operate without that. But that's really very important. Um, and so there are some things that we want to do. And Matt Grace made a great play, sprinted in and set a ball screen uh, that made them switch. And once the switch happened, you know Jacob is going to get a most likely going to get a, a very good shot. So um, you know we wanted to make sure that we 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 check those boxes. We we always tell the guys that they're they're not calling a timeout. In other words, we're playing. We're not going to call timeout. In the last minute of the game, maybe two minutes of the game, the coach can call a timeout. So if there was, you know, if there was a problem or an issue or a stumble or something like that, we we could call timeout from the sideline. Uh, but we want the guys to to keep in mind to fly down the court. And the hardest part of that is if they, if if Mason had just scored or if the other team just scores because there's a natural pause. Um, now that you know there might be a celebration on the other team and so if the, the quicker you can eliminate that pause you know the more you might be able to take advantage of flying down the court and being able to to convert but yeah that you know Jacob obviously handled it perfectly with Matt Grace sprinted 
the guys sprinted down the floor. And if, if the guys don't sprint, then, then they can, you know, surround the ball and make the make it really difficult for the ball handler to, to keep dribbling or to get a shot. So everybody running and staying alert um, and kind of being on the same page is what we're trying to do. That's really important. And, of course, making the shot is, you know, that's really the most important part and, and a great shot by Jacob. I asked you this the other day. If, um, if their kid had made the layup, before that, when Tyler Burton got the rebound, it would have put them up two. Would that have would that have changed anything in your thinking or Jacob's thinking? Well, I don't think so. We would have we, we talked about right in the huddle before we went out. Uh, we talked about what they might try to do. Um, uh, you know the things that we had seen during the game and in other big situations in close games that they've had. Uh, and we said if they score, you know, let's make sure we're right away into our inbound. Um, and then something we work on with our guards, you know, from when they're there early, is just try to be on the move when you're catching the ball. Try not to be coming back toward the baseline. Uh, Jacob's so fast that most of that doesn't matter a ton. Um, but, it, you know, if the clock gets down under five or four, then, then those little things matter. So uh, we did say that, you know, who we wanted to inbound and how we wanted to be set up flying down the court. All right, on to uh, Fairfax on Wednesday night for the for the rematch. Uh, unfortunately, a lot like a doubleheader in baseball, these teams tend to end in splits mm-hmm. an awful lot of the time. Certainly not the outcome we wanted. How much of a difference did Josh Adoro make uh, playing for them? He didn't play Monday night. Still, either way, it was a three-point game. Yeah, uh, it was a great game, I thought, number one. I thought it was a better played game than the one on Monday. Uh, Adoro is a great player, and he means a lot to them. Um, and they threw the ball to him a lot, as they should, and he was able to make plays. You know, they're a very good three-point shooting team, especially at home, and they made a ton of threes. They made, I think, 14 threes in the game. Uh, But, you know, we still had the ball at the end of regulation, uh, and we still had our chances. I thought we we did some really good things. Uh, You know, they're, you know, there are a lot of different variables that go into in, into the end of the game situation, and and they're genuine. Generally, they're going to show up. And a couple of of um, critical possessions down the stretch that we didn't think, um, you know, that we thought maybe the call could have been a little bit different. Uh, but then when we got to overtime and got down, uh, we were able to to you know we fouled once and then let it play out and got ourselves back to having a, to having a, a chance there in the last possession. So. A great game, I thought. Um, you know, a couple of things we could have done better for sure um, and close to having a sa- the same outcome. How difficult then was it, or if at all, to prepare for LaSalle on the heels of those two emotional, tight, physical, well-played games, but obviously draining 85 minutes as it turns out, and you'd already beaten this LaSalle team on the road. Yeah. Well, that, that really is so much of, of college basketball. Like, you know, the the emotions are so high and low uh, and that, you know, it happens very quickly. And so as great as we felt Monday after, you know, winning the game in the last seconds, we felt that badly after not winning the game in the last seconds of regulation. And then you have to get back and get ready. You know, they, the, the conference can't reschedule this year. The conference can't reschedule the games uh, and, and make it, you know, just make it better for you. Um, you have to come and be ready to play and, uh, you know, that's kind of the beauty of it. That's kind of what sports and competition and um, all those things really matter. You have to dig in and be able to concentrate. And, you know, you, you can't – well, you, you may think, well, we beat LaSalle on the road, and, 
you know, naturally will beat them at home. You know, you have to try to eliminate all those thoughts from your head and just focus on the task at hand, even though you're tired and a little sad from the previous game. Uh, and I thought we, I thought we did a nice job of that. I thought the the Robin Center was great. The crowd and the atmosphere were terrific. Um, and I thought we did a really nice job uh, of handling that and handling that roller coaster to try to be as steady as we possibly could. And that game, I thought, kind of plotted along a little bit. And LaSalle kind of tends to yep. play that way until maybe the last seven or eight minutes when they started to press, which actually allowed our guys to have a little bit more freedom of movement and get up and up and down the court and thought they handled that, that pretty well. Yeah, great. I, I, you know, I, that's something we talked about, and you know, LaSalle's comfortable playing in a – in a very half-court, deliberate style. Um, and we've talked about this with teams in the past, that you know, try not to get lulled because they're playing that way. We still want to you know, fly the ball up and play in transition and play in open space, as they say, and that's where we feel we're better. And I did think we handled the press well. There's a lot of length on the court. And it's not the easiest thing, but we handled the press well um, and had some you know, we, we, I think we got up 12, and then we missed a couple of threes that really could have broken the game open, but handled that part of it well and, and didn't get lulled uh, by, their, by their pace and were able to push the tempo. Had five guys uh, in double figures. That's kind of going back to the good old days of Richmond basketball. Not too long ago either of Richmond basketball. Yeah, that's, you know, really ideal. You know, obviously when you have um, – if you have a great score, that's, that's a tremendous uh, thing to have, but – the more, you know, the more balance you have, or if you can have, really, the more guys you can have that can score that many points, who can put pressure on the defense, that's a lot of things to 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 um, to try to defend for for the for the opponent because, you know, you have first of all the pattern and the movement of the offense and uh, where the center is and how mobile he is and all the things he can do, and then you have all these guys on the floor who score in different ways and uh you know nick's all of nick's uh four three-point shots felt big and important um and then you know everybody being able to score you know nate even though he was in foul trouble Mm -hmm. was really difficult for them to defend inside um obviously grant and jacob so you know tyler of course you know so that's a difficult um it's a difficult matchup for anybody when you have that many guys on the floor and the more you can focus on one or two guys even if those guys are great it still feels a little bit easier than trying to defend uh you know trying to defend five different guys who can score in a variety of ways yeah you mentioned uh, nate nathan Kayo, and i think scott unger mentioned it to you on the post game a couple of his moves he made great moves to his left yeah almost seemed to surprise him a little bit i think at least one if not two were were and ones also yeah exactly uh yeah we've been i teased nate about how to say left in french uh because that that's that's a newer that's a newer <laughs> addition uh you know he's so uh, strong and fast and effective um, going to his right and um, but yeah he has added that and and he's practiced it and it's been noticeable um, and so to to have him you know have I, th- I think three baskets were scored left-handed mm-hmm. is great and uh, I thought that was I thought that was great for him and you know again he, he Nate is usually pretty really good at not being in foul trouble and I think uh, I can't remember. There was definitely one of the Mason games where he was in foul trouble also. So 
to be able to do that and you know stay with it uh, is, is a big challenge, uh, but I thought he did a very nice job. All right, last thought before we take our first break. Jordan Gately will join us in the middle segment. So did you have the guys take both of these days off? How did you kind of handle that? And I'm sure our crowd here and listening would love to know when does the actual prep for VCU yeah. begin this week because you do have a full week off, six days off. Yeah, so we did. We had off on Sunday and Monday. So a, a while ago we would have never given back-to-back days off, but um, – you know, more recently, we felt that that's a, that's a good way to play it. And, you know, the guys are also, uh, especially the guys who play a lot, they'll come in and they'll get their treatment and they'll be in the cold tub and hot tub. And, you know, th- those can- kind of things are part of their routine. To me, it's mentally not, in- not having to practice and just feeling like you have the afternoon to yourself a little bit uh, is really, really important. Guys still come in and get shots up and things. Uh, and then tomorrow we'll have workouts, uh, which will be – group workouts where we do a lot of shooting, some moving, try to sweat, uh, but also it's fair, fit, not light, but um, it's not as taxing as a full practice. And then we'll we'll do our usual two days to get ready for, for VCU Wednesday and Thursday. We'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later in the show. We'll take our first break from World of Beer. Jordan Gately, Spider grad student, joins us in just a moment as we continue with Behind the Web. Again, 804-327-0888 to text us behind the web at richmond.edu to email us any comments or questions. Back with Jordan Gately as Behind the Web continues on 1061 ESPN. World of Beer. The timeout's over. Now, more behind the web from World of Beer in Short Pump on 1061 ESPN and the Spider Sports Network. Jordan Gately with the rebound, the foul, and one. And look at that Spider Bench. has been a mainstay for the Richmond Spiders over the past five years. He is our guest on Behind the Web tonight. Spider graduate student Jordan Gately joins us tonight here at World of Beer along with Coach Mooney. Bob Black back with you uh, on Behind the Web, 1061 ESPN. Jordan, thank you for spending the time with us. Uh, how you doing? How, how's the rest been the last couple days? It's been good. Appreciate you guys having me. I think this is my third time on, mm-hmm. so... Mm-hmm. First time in two years, though, so it feels good to be back here. Yeah, very good, yes. Yeah. Oh, you knew we wouldn't let you get out of here without coming <laughs> back. There may even be one more cameo before this thing is done. Uh, how have how have the guys handled this last busy stretch? Coach and I were talking about it. I think it was four games in eight days and six in the past two weeks, something like that. Um, I think it's good, especially as a player. I mean, obviously, we prefer to play the play a bunch of games in a row rather than uh, have like a week like this off because just to keep us focused and stuff like that. But obviously this week, having these past two, day, two days off gets us really ready for the final stretch of the season. Um, as you guys approached those games, Coach mentioned there were ups and downs, although there were certainly more wins than losses. But with your role with this team, how do you try to help keep these guys even keeled? I know there's a lot of veteran guys have been through it before, but not all of them are. Yeah, that's true. I think one of the things, especially this season that I've had to learn is coaches preach positivity, Uh, just trying to stay positive because I know I've been around so long that I've seen most of these guys do such good things that it's almost, I almost take it for granted a little bit. I expect them to be so great. So I think just staying positive, even when they do have their struggles, staying positive with them because I know how good they are and how good they can be. Well, this begs the question a little bit. As you mentioned, you've been around so long. Why did you come back this season? I'm going to assume still walk-on status yes. at this point. Um, why did you come back? 
Um, for me, it was it was just the sort of when I talked with uh, my roommates Sullivan, Jacob, and Grant. I remember we were sitting at a place like this, and I, they asked me what I was doing. This is before anybody made a decision. I was like, "Whatever you guys do, I'm in for." Because mm. if you guys want to run it back, I'm ready to go. And I was obviously I was selfishly pushing for it because I wanted to come back and win and do all these things that we have somewhat accomplished, but obviously we want to accomplish a little bit more. And we're I think we're in a position to do that. Chris, what does that say about the program here when not only the star scholarship guys, the Gilliards and Goldens and Kos and Shrods of the world, but the Sullivan Coolius uh, and uh, Jordan Gateleys of the world are interested in coming back and make it a priority? Yeah, that's the greatest. You know, I was uh, thrilled. Well, first, Jordan graduated in three years. So he, he had, he had uh, right, he had a chance to, um, he had a chance to, do something after his third year and came back uh, on the team. Uh, and then, of course, to come back again uh, is great. And, um, you know, he's obviously uh, – he means a lot to me personally and to the program. But, it, yeah, I think I think it's terrific. I think it just speaks to the fact that it's, it's such a good group of guys. You know, he's talking about making the decision. Um, you know, it, it's not about uh, – any kind of enticement or, well, the coaches promised we could do this or we could do that or didn't have to do this. You know, it's just them wanting to be on the same, you know, wanting to, to be together and play basketball together and hang out. And um, so I, th- I think that that part of it really, I think, is, is terrific because uh, it's not, um, you know, it's not any kind of incredible, oh, well, this is, this is what we – the coaches said we would be able to do and we don't have to practice during the week or something like that and uh but it was just about them wanting to be together and and wanting to be at richmond you have always put a high importance level on the walk-on program at richmond how come uh you know when we were at uh the air force academy we 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 didn't really get any walk-ons and um and i can remember you know just observing other programs and and talking about it um and thinking that, boy, if you could have three more good players who were good guys, that that's just all positives, you know. Um, and everybody does it a little bit differently, but that, that, that was my main thought. If, if not for the GPA or, or anything like that, but just to have three, three more guys who were good basketball players, um, who were good guys, who were kind of, you know, living out what you were trying to, teach or what your program was going to be about uh generally the the makeup of a walk-on not not because the guy's a walk-on or sees himself that way but you know they're generally going to choose to be a walk-on at richmond over opportunities at other uh, lower level schools where they would play or start or and so those are guys who are committed to to basketball and they're committed to really being competitive and you know that that I just don't see a downside of having three more guys or this year five more guys <laughs> who are like that. And, you know, for the for the most part, it's been a tri- uh, an incredible tradition for us because these guys are extremely competitive. They know basketball. A uh, few of them, uh, including Jordan, I think, want to coach. So they're invested in, in, in a lot of ways right into the program. Uh, and then also, you know – with say with uh, Jacob and Grant, it would be hard for um, you know one of the younger guys to to correct them on the court. 
uh, or correct something that they did wrong, as, as rare as that might be, Jordan is more than willing and able to, to, to take that on. And that, that's because they see each other as friends and they're roommates and they have to go through these things where they have to pay the rent on time and, and, and do those kinds of things. And so they don't, you know, they're not in this, uh, hierarchical relationship. They're just buddies. And, uh, and I think that's really important because that, you know, keeps everybody a little bit more level, a little bit more grounded. So this is begging a lot of questions for you, Jordan, (laughs) from, from coach's answer. He kept saying three guys, three guys, three guys, and it is five walk-ons this year. What, what's that been like? And, you know, you got some younger ones in that group. How do you kind of nurture them along a little bit? Uh, I definitely like it. I think especially when uh, Sullivan and I came in as freshmen, mm-hmm. we sort of lucked out with having each other as walk-ons because when you come in by yourself as a walk-on, you really don't know. It's, you're walking into something completely new, and you almost feel that you aren't on the same level yet. When you first walk in, you don't know what you, like what to do. So when we came in, it was very easy for us because we had each other. And then uh, Quinton, Gabe, and Liam, they all have come in individually as walk-ons. Mm-hmm. So I think being able to, for them to look up to us and see what we're supposed to do and how we treat, how we interact with other guys and how normal it is, I think has been made the transition for them easier. Well, well take us back to, what, 2017, I guess, and why you did decide to do this. Uh, I think it's fairly well documented. You are from you know, quite the basketball family with your mom coaching at Fordham, formerly at Richmond. Your dad was a coach. He coached here at Richmond with, with her. Your brothers are, are, have been involved in basketball. Why did you make that decision as opposed to maybe, as something Coach said, you could have gone to a lower level and maybe maybe played a lot of minutes and a lot of games? For sure. I mean, I think it was my senior year. And I was spring of my senior year, and I still had no idea where I was going. I think it wasn't until May that I knew I was coming to Richmond when I talked to Coach Mooney, and I was going the next month. But for me, I remember it was watching the NCAA tournament and just seeing those guys and seeing how excited it was in the atmosphere. And obviously, I knew I always loved that, but I remember watching and being like, there's nothing else I would want to be a part of that that's all I want is to be in an atmosphere with that like that with my teammates my brothers I feel like that would be incredible all right so fast forward now there's a year in there with no atmosphere and none of that and we all went through the pandemic and the shortened season um what kind of narrative did you have through that and I know a lot of it had to do with with Grant and Jacob but that you did want to you know finish on a different note with a different atmosphere than the way it was the last two years definitely I think just talking to I think coach and my parents and them telling us or telling me and me relaying that to Grant and Jacob when I was not pushing but hoping that they would come back so I would come (laughs) back as well just this is something that'll happen once in our lifetime hopefully ever this pandemic that we where we don't knock on what where we (laughs) where where this is the atmosphere it's going to be like we missed we our first game back we had no idea we had no idea what to expect because we haven't had fans in so long. So it almost felt weird to an extent to have so many fans and have so many people come out that it was amazing. And that's how it's been at the Robin Center every game this year. Again, this is just more and more questions because I had one in my head, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch. When there were no fans, you guys on the bench became the fans. Um, how did all of that come about? How natural was it and how much of it was, hey, we do need to make a point to do this to help the guys that are on the court? 
Um, for sure, definitely. Uh, it felt weird because they could obviously they could hear everything we were saying. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, we wanted to censor ourselves a little bit for the times <laughs> when we were upset and didn't make the great plays. But um, definitely, just being able to cheer them on and them actually being able to hear us and us bring our own noise and that was sort of what we took pride in trying to be louder than the other bench because at that when there's no people there that's all that really matters and it's kept going since <laughs> yeah obviously chris was there ever a discussion with those guys about um you know end of the bench excitement as opposed to decorum and that sort of thing because you pace up and down that sideline they're right in your ear behind you so yeah we have a couple guys who are very yes. much, not just in my ear and um <laughs> So last year, well, I feel like we've I've always tried to have uh, – I haven't wanted the – a lot of times in college basketball, I see the guys at the end of the bench uh, doing the most, um, you know, hand gestures mm-hmm. or patty cake and things. And I've, I've, I've never been a big fan of that only because at Richmond, these guys work really, really hard. And they, they are good basketball players and they're – held accountable to, to being a good player and I didn't want them I didn't want it to be no you know like they were just uh, water boys you know they're part of the team and um, now last year was a little bit different and we had to loosen up a little bit because uh, because it was the only energy that was in the building and so you know Sullivan cool you certainly kind of a uh, Nick Sherrod surprisingly hmm. yeah un- unbelievable very loud very demonstrative um, and so it's it's been a little bit hard to put the put it back in the toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> but I've had three officials this year tell me that if I hear one more thing from the guy down there, that he's giving him a technical foul. So so we haven't been able to <laughs> bring it all back. Uh, but I do appreciate somebody who who recognizes good and bad officials uh, until that day comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> And, and uh, full disclosure, Sully was supposed to join us tonight. He had a, another commitment, but we actually did invite um, both of the uh, fifth-year uh, graduate senior, senior guys to be here tonight, uh, and hopefully he'll be able to make it on another, uh, another evening. Uh, one more before we go to the break here, Jordan. Take, take us behind the closed doors of the apartment, and when you're uh, criticizing Grant Golden and Jacob Gilliard, what, what, what's that really like? Because um, you've probably done it a couple. I mean, they're great, but they're not perfect players. It's definitely easier to do it in the apartment because obviously it's not the heat of the moment. <laughs> but especially when you have a computer and the film to show the <laughs> to show where they can't argue it, it makes it a little bit easier. But at the same time, once I once once Gilly says, oh, "Fine, why don't you get out there and do it?" That's that's when I'm like, "All right, that's that's my last comment." <laughs> Great stuff. Let's take a break. We'll come back in just a moment. I want to pick up on the Coach Gately possibilities uh, and what's ahead for the Spiders the last three weeks of the regular season and into the uh, Atlantic 10 tournament and beyond. Jordan Gately, our guest tonight on Behind the Web, Back to World of Beer after the break, 106.1 ESPN. Let's get back to the show. Behind the Web presented by World of Beer and Short Pump. Once again, here's Bob Black on the Spider Sports Network and 1061 ESPN. Into Gately on the block with nine to shoot. Little fall away in the lane is good from Jordan Gately. Back this way in and hit the shot. I'll, I'll tell you, Jordan, it was fun going back and finding a, a couple of highlights there for for you from your time here at Richmond. This isn't sure going to all. Tough. Yeah. 
It was a little difficult. I knew which game. And that one was from the St. Joe's game, so that had to have a little extra meaning being being the Philly guy. Mm-hmm. Didn't it? Yeah. I, 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 remember, I remember that one. I'm sure. I'm sure you did. Jordan Gately, our, our guest on uh, Behind the Web tonight. And as we mentioned before the break, so if you've been to a game at the Robin Center or you watch on TV and we come back from the commercial and we're still in the huddle or we go to the commercial, I guess, uh, before Coach Mooney sits down, Jordan Gately is sitting in the uh, in the coach's seat on on the huddle. Uh, how did all that come about, and what are you trying to do in that amount of time before Coach Mooney kicks you out of the seat? Um, well, I used to just stand right next to it and talk, and then I would sort of leave, obviously, as Coach Mooney goes. But Coach Mooney brought Sullivan and I before the year um, over and told us that that was something we should do is go sit in the seat. And I talked to Sullivan about it, and Sullivan was like, uh, you know, that's not really my thing. So I was like, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll uh, take control of it. So now, now Sullivan and I have a good little plan of which timeouts he goes to and which I go to. What normally gets said in those timeouts? I guess a lot of it depends on how we're doing on the court, but what are you trying to say to those, those guys? Yeah, obviously when we're playing well, it's very easy because everyone's into it and very cheerful. But I think a lot of the times it's uh, when, when we're struggling a little bit to tell them, to let them know that there's a lot of time left, no matter what the situation is. I think I remember it, we were, it was the under eight against at Rhode Island when we were down, we were down seven and there's i think there's been the, there's been a couple games like that where we've all said throughout the year where we're one two plays away from this being our game and i think that was just the main message there's eight minutes left we're down by seven we're two stops and two scores away from this being our game and we went on 15 to 1 run and one of the best wins we at least I've been a part of at Richmond. Well, you're, you're taking a lot of help in, in that by what you're saying to those guys in those situations. You're a veteran guy, and we've come from behind you know, more times than we would have liked to this year, obviously, but have come and won those games. Uh, Chris, from that perspective, sometimes it is better to hear the voice of, of one of their teammates, classmates, roommates, friends, at least for those few moments before the coaches get involved. Yeah, for sure, especially, you know, and that's not something we've always done. It's more because of, of, of trusting uh, Jordan and Sullivan, um, but yeah, I, I feel like you know in huddles sometimes they they get quiet. Not be you know usually it's not when things aren't going great, but more because guys are very tired or they're or they're they're a little bit frustrated, and to have a a, a voice centralized just saying the you know whether it could be basic things or encouragement, you know I think that's really. It's it's good to bring the guys back in, and there's also much more perspective on, uh, from you know from Jordan when he's in the huddle than there is from a guy who's in there and maybe he just he thinks he just got fouled and he's mm-hmm. you know he's hyper focused on on that or um, not that that would happen with any of, of our guys, but you know and and there's just like a, a hyper focus on on that rather than just kind of seeing the big picture and seeing the next play and what you can do next time to get the call or whatever it might be. Not sure I've seen many teams, if any, doing that, you know, where they, they've got a walk-on guy who is, you know, biding time until the coaches get there by sitting there. I think that's great trust. For sure, that, yeah. That now, have you ever had to, like, kick him out of the chair, like, <laughs> hey, it's my turn now, quit talking? Well. <laughs> or did, you've got it pretty well timed. Yeah, I, I usually hope someone taps me on the back of the shoulder when I see Coach Rooney coming because I never, I never want the tap on the shoulder turn around and be him. And I'm like, oh god, you haven't had to do that, have you? Uh, not really, no, not really. Uh, it's funny. Uh, the last couple of games, um, 
you know, I don't know how long the media timeouts are. I shouldn't say that. I don't know that anybody does. Uh, and so we I don't tell always, you that, Chris. Jason well, that would be, Vita and I, we well, probably could tell you that. I, I shouldn't have put it like that. They, they vary sometimes <laughs> they one time out to they the do. next. And so, you know, some I, I don't want to have uh, – when, when I was younger, we, you know, the, time, <laughs> the timeouts were – there was more color <laughs> in the timeouts. And it was – you know, I didn't want to see them and would just say – you know, bring it in, get out there, and then it yeah. would be 45 seconds. They'd be standing on the court. So I've, we've tried to correct that to try to. They give you a warning um, buzzer. Yep. And with 15 seconds to go, and that's the better time to go out. And then, so, mm-hmm. so we don't, we don't want to let them out too early. But sometimes, since they switch, one will be two and a half minutes, and the next one a minute 15. That's really, it's really a bit of a um, a difference there, mm-hmm. and so. I'll be kind of yelling at somebody to say, can you let me know how long this timeout is? So Jordan probably knows better because he knows all these other things a lot better than I do uh, of how long he should be in there. So is all of this a precursor to a coaching career, Jordan? I hope so. Yeah, that's the, that's the plan right now. Wherever I can go to try and coach, I would love to be a part of it and try and help the best I can. How much uh, conversation are you getting from the family on that front? Because, as I said, there's a lot of basketball in the Gately family. Um, definitely a lot. The, uh, over Christmas, I remember sitting there with my parents and talking with them about it. Um, and then, obviously, with my brothers, they've been helping me just the best path to go about it and how to try and find my way into the coaching world. Remind our audience what your brothers are doing right now. I know one of them is still in basketball. The other, I think, just got out, right? Yeah, my oldest brother, Dutch, is an assistant with the Charlotte Hornets. And then my other older brother, DC, was with the Miami Heat as a, in the video room and analytics. But he just stopped and got engaged and now has a job in Miami. But now you're going to take over and get into the into the basketball. Now, is is the college level what you'd want, or pro, or or just what? Um, that's a good question because if you ask me, just by myself with no other biases, I would say college. But my oldest brother Dutch said that he started in college, but he told me that he said he would never do NBA. He only wanted to do college, and then once he got to the NBA, said that he would never go back to college. So. <laughs> I'm not really sure what I want to do, but I'm sort of trying to, wherever it will take me, I'd be happy. Uh, what's your mom telling you through all this? Because let's be honest, she's the uh, stir of the draws that stirs this drink. <laughs> um, yeah, she's just trying to be as helpful as possible. She's definitely a little more laid back, laid back about it. Um, my dad, on the other hand, has been has been on my butt about trying to network and connect with people. Because I know all all they want to do is see me succeed, and that's nothing more I could ask for. Coach Mooney, what's the advice or guidance that you can or potentially will give Jordan going down the road? Yeah. So uh, when when I remember being Jordan's age, and uh, you know, a, a group of friends of mine who were trying to get into coaching, and and uh, we would always ask advice of you know guys who were in coaching and i th- i feel like they we, we kind of started to feel like they they would tell you the path that they took mm-hmm. you know because there are a lot of different ways to do it and you know the path that i took would be really unique and uncharacteristic to wind up in college to to start as a high school coach uh and then a division 3 coach um so i don't think that there's one true path or uh, anything like that. I can remember, you know, thinking you had to be a graduate assistant somewhere because then you're in Division One and you're meeting Division One people. But uh, I don't necessarily know if that's true. 
I worked a lot of camps that I wish I hadn't worked uh, that didn't really that didn't really help out. too yeah. much. Um, so I, I think really, you know, obviously with Jordan and his family and having been a player here at Richmond and we have a really good coaching tree here, I think that he'll have a – I think he'll have opportunities. Now, they might not – you know, it's not like you send the resume and you get the job right away. But I think he'll have opportunities because he goes along and shows what a good coach he is and how bright he is and those kinds of things. All right. Uh, we wish you the best in that. And whatever can help can, we can give you certainly will be given. Let's come back to the, to the present, though. What will the mindset of this team be the rest of this week moving into Friday? Uh, I know it's the next game on the schedule. That's always the most important, but this one's a little different. VCU, Friday night, one more chance for all all you seniors on their home floor. Um, Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think obviously we weren't happy with the result of last game um, against them. Uh, obviously, this rivalry, we see these guys around the city. We see these guys. We want we want the bragging rights to, to the VCU fans, so it would be nice to get them uh, last time before we leave. Um, but it's, like you said, it's just preparing for another game. It's We're going to have workouts tomorrow, and then we're going to watch film the next day, and then we're going to go over the scout. Um, but obviously, there's, a, there's a definitely a different level of excitement when we go to play at VCU as there's been over the past five years. And, and kind of finish it up, Jordan, you kind of alluded last, last time around, and all you guys have, have said this publicly. You know, we came back for a lot of reasons. That top reason is to get to the NCAA tournament. Is that still kind of permeating with you guys right now, or is it all just about the next season and the next opponent? Um, for sure. Obviously, it's about the next opponent and everything, but it, you, sometimes you can't help yourself but to look, look at stuff like that. Um, but obviously, we just want to put ourselves in the best position to get to that, which is try and get a double buy for the A-10 tournament and do our best to do that, and then everything takes care of itself from there. And just can keep winning. <laughs> Great way to finish. Keep winning. Love it. Uh, And if coaching doesn't work out, broadcasting, I think, is (laughs) is probably a good move for you. Jordan, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Uh, Hopefully we'll get you back again, and we'll get Sully out here as well. Really appreciate you being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Jordan Gately, our special player guest tonight on Behind the Web. Appreciate him being with us this evening. Got a couple of texts and emails for Coach Moody. We'll do that on the other side and wrap it up from World of Beer. Behind the Web continues after the break on 106.1 ESPN. World of Beer. Keeping you up to date with Richmond basketball. This is Behind the Web from World of Beer, 11,600 West Broad Street on 1061 ESPN. From Playfly, this is the Spider Sports Network. Final segment of Behind the Web for a Monday night. Give you a quick reminder. Again, we've got the scheduling quirk. So next week is a Wednesday show for Behind the Web. Next week is Wednesday. The Spiders are traveling Monday night for a Tuesday game at George Washington. So we're Wednesday next week from 5.30 until 6.30 with Behind the Web. Next basketball broadcast is Friday night from VCU at 7 o'clock, 6.30 airtime for the Richmond-area Honda Dealers Capital City Classic Round 2 between Richmond and VCU. And again, thanks to Jordan Gately. Terrific job with us here at uh, World of Beer. Got a couple of emails and texts for Coach Mooney. If you want to slide one in, there's still time. 804-327-0888 or behind the web at richmond.edu via email. Chris, this is a great example, real-time text, of how things change quickly 
in college basketball. So this text came in right when we went on the air at 6 o'clock. Uh, there's a makeup game in the A-10 tonight that started at 5 between St. Bonaventure and St. Louis, very similar to what Richmond did against George Mason. So here comes the text. Greetings, this is Charles R. I have a question for Coach. Given the Spiders have won 7 of 9 and St. Louis is getting blown out of New York as we speak, hmm, it's now 80-77 to 77 with a minute to go in the game. St. Bonaventure leading St. Louis. Uh, Charles's question, how confident are you in your team getting a double bye? Something that Jordan spoke about just a moment ago. But, again, I thought it was really interesting how quickly things change in college basketball. Yeah. Yeah, if, yeah, you don't know college basketball as as well if because <laughs> the Bonnies were up like twenty, I right? Think, exactly, clo- close to it. Exactly. Yeah, and now it's a one possession game. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I haven't, uh, you know, I don't focus too much on the standings yet, uh, and I, I say that just to say that uh, there's there are a lot of games left. You know, all these teams have to play. There there won't be one night in the rest of the games where a surprise result doesn't happen mm-hmm. um davidson had gone up to rhode island mm-hmm. rhode island had lost i think six or seven in a row uh, davidson was a hot one of the hottest teams and, and rhode island wins the game and so you know it's 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 hard to make those predictions uh of any of any matchup and so um so i, I just know there are a lot of games left that's that's the most important thing a lot of games left uh i know it's it's we're in the mix mm-hmm. and that we'll have a chance and that I know we're playing the teams, many of the teams that are in the mix also. So the games will be, have that much more weight to them uh, because not only could you get a win, but you're giving one of those teams a loss and, and, you know, climbing in the standing. So uh, it, it's, it's certainly uh, within reason and, and uh, certainly something we're, we're going to really work hard to accomplish. Yeah. I don't have another shot at Davidson, but other than that, you get, we've got Dayton and St. Louis and VCU uh, still to play. So the and opp- St. Bonaventure, and Saint yep, Bonaventure exactly. Um, yep, exactly. to play as well. Um, and, again, it's not impossible to win four games in four days, but mathematically it's just a little easier to sure. win three and three. Yeah, right? absolutely. When, absolutely. Once, you get, once you get to the tournament. Yeah, for sure. All right, next game is VCU on uh, Friday night. Uh, email question, and I think this will lead you into just kind of giving us kind of the, the prep for VCU. Not to oversimplify things. Wow, that was easy for him to write, not me to say. But when it comes down to it, isn't beating VCU as simple as shutting down Vince Williams? <laughs> the simple answer is no, but I think you probably understand his point or can read between the words a little bit. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I wish. Yeah, right, honest, you know, right, exactly. Uh, I, I think the the the, hard, the harder part when you're in your you know, in really in basketball is, um, you know, certainly in the first game, it would seem like, well, if we had shut down Vince Williams, we had a, so many of their points and assists, we would have won the game. Um, you know, unfortunately, that that doesn't that doesn't always happen. You know, um, I've saw games where Mike Schmidt struck out five times and the Phillies won handily. You know, and um, there's just a lot of different ways that uh, basketball games are decided, and uh, the best player or best scorer having a great game is one of them, a, a big one and kind of an obvious one. Uh, but there are just so many different ways that basketball games are decided um, that it would it would be hard to just point to one. And I, I think when coaches are are 
you know, even when they when they're meeting in their room and they, they don't have to worry about what they say and it's just the coaches and you say, you know, if we could accomplish these, you know, three things, um, you know, we'll we'll win the game. And we we've had games against VCU where we've had uh, single digit turnovers and six turnovers and, and had not won the game and we've had uh, and you would say, Well that's the one that's the main stat that you have to that you have to accomplish. Um, so it's it's hard. We've had games where we've you know, against everybody, we've been out rebounded by 18 and won the game handily. Um, I think we out rebounded West Virginia last year on the road and, and lost, lost the game. And yeah. you would have thought that you know you would you thought both those were impossible. So uh, it's hard to point to just one thing. It's really there are just so many different ways that games are decided. Uh, that uh, St. Louis St. Bonaventure game that was a blowout isn't any longer. 81-79. Bonnie's with 30.6 to go, and St. Bonaventure inbounding the ball. So uh, they've had quite a weekend, right? Those two teams, because they played Friday and tonight, St. Louis and Olean. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, it was interesting, you know, going through the Mason part, and I didn't know this was the next uh, their next part. But, yeah, that was a, a, a good game on, on Friday, and then to come right back and play, you know, two really high-level teams, you know, pretty pretty intense, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Hey, you alluded to the rebounding. There's been enough written and, and talked about it uh, lately. Uh, the rebounding has improved for the Spiders. I don't know how much of an emphasis that has been for you, or you just have the guys like a Tyler Burton who can rebound the basketball. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly been an emphasis, and I, I think um, uh, LaSalle, I think, only had five offensive mm-hmm. rebounds. Does that mm-hmm. sound right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, a, they're an offensive rebounding team so certainly been an emphasis uh, I do think that um, you know uh, Kevin Hubby has really uh, brought in you know some statistical information and evaluation on guys every day uh, and not just evaluating if you get the rebound but everyone's box out and uh, the rotation all those kinds of things that that you, you can quantify them more with the cameras and, and mm-hmm. those kind of things Um and Grant is very good at, at boxing out and holding his ground. Matt Grace, very good at boxing out and holding his ground. Nate, very good at boxing out and holding his ground. And then Tyler's uh, potentially very special rebounder, you know. And to me, that's probably the biggest That's probably the biggest one because that, that's you don't have that all the time. Uh, and Tyler, you know, even a couple in the second half against LaSalle, I mean, he's taking them right off of the rim. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not mm-hmm. – um, it's not where the ball's batted around and we run it down. Uh, he's taking them right off of the rim. And to me, that's the biggest part of it. Uh, but also, you know, Andre Gustafson is a guy. He's yeah. long, uh, strong, uh, great athlete. Um, you know, we have some guys who can who can get rebounds. So, yeah, that, 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 has been, that has been very good for us and hopefully can continue to move in the right direction because, um, you know, generally over the course of time, our first shot defense has been excellent. And then coupled with the turnovers that we've forced mm-hmm. over the years. And it's the second shot, which part of the reason is we're skilled and we're maybe smaller and, you know, uh, but if we can if we can have that uh, as a real strength of our team, that's that's uh, that's a pretty big one. Hey, totally off topic. Got about a minute or so, a minute and a half or so. I meant to ask you this off air before I asked it on, not, not that it really matters. Um, I don't know if fans have noticed this. Greg and I have noticed it because we've been situated next to the bench a couple of times. But I guess the conference is now 
allowing coaches to use the the iPads that are now um, at each bench, at least in Atlantic 10 games, what's on them and how much are you actually using them, you and collectively the staff, using them during the game? Yeah, so we can clip every play that has happened uh, or it it probably is automatically clipped. So it's, you know, that's how the, the software works. And then we can go back and look at the exact play. So it really is a, a big scouting, you know, advantage for both teams. But you can go say, hey, they, you know, when they ran their play called red, instead of coming this way, they ran it hmm. and, and hooked around the other way. And that, that's, you know, obviously easier to see sometimes. So that, that is what is on it and what's available. It's, it's very cool. It would be hard for me to be able to yeah, navigate it. For sure. uh, but, no, we have used it a couple very of cool. times so far. Very cool. Uh, another advance in college yeah. basketball. <laughs> thank you, Coach. We'll see you Friday night. Great. Thank you very much. And thanks to Jordan Gately, our special player guest. Mitchell Bradley, thank you for producing. Robert Oley in the studio. And everyone here tonight, thank you for supporting us and being here. We're on the air at 6.30 Friday night from VCU with more Spider Basketball. You've been listening to Behind the Web from World of Beer, 11,600 West Broad Street, featuring head men's basketball coach Chris Mooney. Tonight's show has been brought to you by CarMax, Lux Chevrolet, World of Beer, and by Cabell Childress Group. Join us throughout the college basketball season for Behind the Web, presented by World of Beer in Short Pump. Thanks for listening, and stay in touch with Richmond Athletics on the flagship station of the Spider Sports Network, ESPN Richmond. Executive producer Mitchell Bradley. This has been a presentation of Playfly Sports in association with Richmond Sports Properties.